The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hello, 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 guys. How are we doing? All right, all right. I'm doing really good. Thank you for asking me. Got some, uh, got some new faces in here. Just want to welcome you guys. If you're new to Heritage, uh, just welcome. We're going to get into the Word together. Um, let's open up in some prayer, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. Father, just thank you tonight so much, God, that we can do this. God, I think we take for granted so often the privilege that it is to come together with your body, to encourage one another, Lord, to worship you, to lift hands, God, to hear uh, your word spoken and proclaimed, God. We're just thankful tonight for the blessing that it is to be in your house. And God, we just pray as we open this new series, Lord, as we begin to, to seek how we can better seek you, God, that you would bring clarity to that. Lord, I pray you would use my words tonight, that they wouldn't be my words. God, that I would simply be a conduit of your grace that would pour out on the ears and the hearts of your people tonight, God. And I just pray that in Jesus' powerful and mighty name, amen. All right, what a crazy season that we just finished, did we not? Um, Christmas and New Year's is just, it's just bonkers. Um, I was talking to Aaron, we, we just kind of came back to work, we took a, took a little week off, which is fantastic, and we were just talking about um, how uh, busy it is, but yet you don't feel like you did anything. Like you're just running around, going to family functions, cooking meals at the last minute to take, and just an incredibly busy, uh, busy time. It got me thinking this morning, just as reflecting the last couple of weeks and thinking about the series and, and just how I wanted to intro this series, just really realizing how busy life is, especially in our culture. Like our culture is so busy. We live in a busy world, and so many of the things that we do on a day-to-day basis that consume our time take an immense amount of discipline, okay? An immense amount of discipline. Everything that we do, think about your job for a minute. Think about how many things you have to do in a disciplinary way just in order to have a job. You have to get up when your alarm goes off. You have to pack yourself a lunch, possibly, you have to make sure to get there on time. You have to make sure that you're working in a way that, that, that is worthy of your paycheck. It takes discipline to have a job. And then if you have kids, that takes discipline to have kids. Anyone have kids in here? It takes discipline. The whole sitting on the couch thing is over. Those days were fun, and now they're done. It takes discipline to be a dad, especially when you have a two, two-year-old and a six-month-old that need diapers every five minutes. It takes discipline to have kids. It takes discipline to be married. Um, it takes a lot of investment, a lot of intentionality, a lot of work to have a healthy marriage. It takes discipline and intentionality to be healthy, to eat good food. When every billboard and commercial wants you to eat a hamburger dripping in grease that looks delicious, it takes discipline to be healthy, to get out the door, to go exercise. It takes discipline to have friendships, to build relationships. Everything in life takes discipline. It takes discipline. It takes intentionality. So why would we think that Christianity would be any different? It takes discipline to do things. It takes intentionality. I think we could all probably agree in here tonight that if you neglect something, it doesn't turn out miraculous. 
okay? Um, if you don't tend to your yard, it doesn't look good, okay? We had a yard in Central Point that literally when I would mow it, there would be a dust cloud following me because it was like 2% grass and 98% dirt, right? Um, and partially because I was very undisciplined in the way that I kept our lawn. Um, but the truth is, if you don't pay attention to things, if you're not disciplined when it comes to things, they simply just don't move forward. This is just the truth in life. Now, we're going to start a new series starting tonight. This is the intro for it called Spiritual Disciplines. It's kind of a fitting time, right? Because it's New Year's 2016, time to start some new habits, right? Maybe uh, just rethink how you do some kinds of things. But really what I want you guys to understand and to take away tonight is really just ultimately the why behind um, this series. We're going to get in, 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 in depth into specific topics of what it is to be spiritually disciplined, and we'll kind of talk about what the topics are tonight. But ultimately tonight, I want to take a glance and really try to understand why it's so important that we live disciplined lives. Um, this is timely for me. Uh, I feel like I've sort of neglected uh, in my life really being disciplined in how I approach the scriptures and how I approach prayer time, and, and I feel like I need reform in my life, and I'm sure a lot of you guys would agree with that, that, that 2016 could be a great time to have some reform in the way that we walk with Jesus. So, but tonight I want to zoom out, get the big picture, um, but in order to do that, let's start by going at the scriptures and just taking a look really quickly on discipline. I want to try to give you guys just a clear view of what it is to be disciplined as a Christian, why it's important, and what specifically what spiritual um, disciplines are. Guy, there are some chairs up here. I know it's going to be super awkward. I'm going to, I can step back. I won't spit on you or anything, I promise. There's a whole row up here too. That's probably less spit. Um, I brushed my teeth today or yesterday, one of these days, so we're good. First Timothy 4.7. If you guys have your Bibles, flip up into that. Let's just start there. 1 Timothy 4, 7 is a fantastic verse concerning what it is to be spiritually dead. I'm going to just look at you the whole time, Pat. Is that cool? Is this good? Okay, thank you. Just look into my eyes. 1 Timothy 4, 7 says this. Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, Have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths. Rather, listen to this, rather train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. Here is this command by the Apostle Paul that we as Christians are to train ourselves for godliness. Now, I can't reiterate this enough. Things don't just happen on their own, right? Your lawn doesn't look beautiful when you don't water it. It takes intentionality. Things don't just miraculously happen, right? We have to have intentionality. We have to, have, uh, we have to think about wanting to get where we want to go. And so what Paul's saying here is to train yourself for godliness. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 for sort of another insight into what the Bible says about discipline. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says this. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What Paul here is saying is he says, I don't live my life nebulously. 
I don't live my life wasting energy. I live my life in a way that is focused, and that's for a reason, in a way that's disciplined. So he uses this analogy, this example of running. Now, I've decided, and I don't even know what I'm thinking, but I've decided I'm going to try to do a marathon on May 1st. And so I'm training for that. I've got like 18 weeks to go, um, and I'm already tired. Um, but the, the regiment that I have to keep to do this marathon has great intentionality. My mileage has to increase every week. I have to do it in a specific way. I have to think about what I'm eating and how far I'm going and all this kind of stuff. And it takes great intentionality. In order to get to my goal, it takes intentionality. I can't just wake up on May 1st and go run this marathon. I have to train for it. I have to focus on it. And this is the analogy here that Paul uses. He said, I don't just run for no reason. I run with purpose. I run as a disciplined person with a goal in mind. Other places in the scriptures, Paul talks about being a soldier. Okay, a soldier who, who can go to battle at the drop of a hat, at, at the command of his leader, and, and leave whatever he needs to leave to go and to jump into battle. This is a, an example of discipline in the scriptures. Second um, Timothy 1.7, uh, Paul says to Timothy, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Okay, so I read all those just to say that the Bible is clear. That discipline as a Christian is important. Okay, discipline as a Christian is important. And you guys are going, no, not another sermon on how I need to do more, try harder. Okay, but here's the thing. Hopefully tonight we'll give you guys an excitement about what it is to be disciplined, but it'll be a yoke that's easy. Because Jesus is easy as yoke. I just said that totally wrong. His yoke is easy, and I'm dyslexic. His yoke is easy, and his burden is is light. Amen? So the question is, if we know, and we all know, if we've been in church any certain amount of time, we all know that discipline is important. We all know that if we want to do anything well, it takes intentionality. We know that if we want to have a thriving walk with Jesus, a closer walk with him, that we need to be intentional and disciplined. But why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? That's what I'm going to dig in tonight. And, and not only that, but, but why, doesn't it always, why does it not always work? Sometimes we do it, and we do it, and we do it, and we, we get up, and we read, and we do our devotions, and we do our prayer times, and it doesn't feel like anything's happening. I just want to dig into that. So I think the easiest way, maybe, tonight to, to try to answer some of those questions is to walk you guys through a little bit of my story, just to bring it personalized and, and, and give you kind of a little bit of where I'm coming from on this. So I'm 26 years old, um, so, so I've been alive for not super long. Um, but uh, I feel like I've experienced different seasons of discipline in my life. Um, when I was a little kid, before I got saved, I had the world's greatest example of Christian discipline in the house. And, and, and I'm not just saying this because she listens to the podcast, although it will get me points. Um, but my mother is the most spiritually disciplined human I've ever met in my life. Um, and when I was a kid, I observed that. I saw her with great intentionality get up, um, I believe at 5 a.m. every day before the sun got up and spend an hour in the word, journaling and prayer and study and listening to sermons every day. She's always been diligent and she's never stopped. And she's never stopped. So I grew up with this fantastic example of what it was to be disciplined as a Christian. But as you know, when you're not a Christian and when you're 12, um, that just looks horrible. 
right? Like, why would you get up at five in the morning to read your Bible, uh, right? Like, I, I just didn't get it at all. And what it sort of did is it, first of all, it set a really high bar for me as to what it looks like to be a disciple. Uh, but it also, in some senses, it discouraged me because, to no fault to my mother, but it discouraged me in a sense that I was like, well, I just don't think I can do that. I don't think I can live up to that, that disciplined life that I know that God's calling me to be all in as a Christian. And so it sort of drove me away from that entirely. And I still did Bible study because I was sort of forced to. Um, my mom, you know, my mom would force me to listen to sermons. I'm so glad she did. Then when I was in high school, I got saved uh, at a Christian camp. A lot of you guys know my story already, but at a Christian camp, I got saved. God got a hold of my heart, called me to himself, right? And I got saved in this different Christian context than I was raised in. I was raised in very reformed, for those of you that don't know what that word means, um, sort of a very, like, focused on doctrine and theology, um, understanding the scriptures systematically. And then I got saved in this different Christian culture that was more what you could call maybe charismatic, uh, basically a, a Christian culture where the emphasis is less on, on, on systematic Bible study and a lot more on like Holy Spirit um, Pentecostal style, right? A little more on like speaking in tongues, on visions from the Lord. People just walk up to you and hand you a note card that says something about, you know, a mountain and a wave and, and stuff like that. You know, like, like um, not saying that's bad. Um, so I've had some crazy, really prophetic things happen that way. Um, but I got saved into that context. Now, for those of you that have kids, you know this. Your kids want to do the opposite usually of what you do when they're in high school. So I sort of swung the opposite direction of the way that my parents did church, and I went more into the touchy-feely charismatic side of Christianity. And I'm, first of all, I'm really thankful for that. Okay, I'm thankful for that because what it did was it taught me how to pursue God um, in a very uh, tangible and, and emotional way. I let, I let him get a hold of my heart. I, I learned how to speak to God, to pray to God, to worship God, to lift my hands, to be energetic for Jesus, excited about the Lord. Very thankful for that. But the problem with that season for me was, is it was very undisciplined. I didn't have regular study of the scripture. I didn't have systematic understanding of theology or doctrine. And so what it sort of left me as is like unrooted, like a tree with no roots. So as easily as Colossians says, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It, it left me in a place where I, I wasn't necessarily grounded like I ought to be. So God give me a new heart, because that's what he does when you get saved, right? You are reborn, new desires, new heart. But what I didn't get was a new mind. Now there's a difference here. Now listen to this. When you get saved, God gives you new desires. But the sanctification process, the, the thing that happens that we're all in right now as Christians, that we're walking through, is when God gets a hold of your mind, okay? So he starts with your heart, and then he begins to transform your mind. Romans 12, 2, you guys know it. Therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Okay, back to my first point. It doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up after getting saved the next day and all of a sudden your mind thinks like Christ. It doesn't happen that way. If you get saved and do not pursue Jesus in a way that is disciplined, your mind will continue to be the way it was before you got saved. So your desires will change, but your mind is still carnal. 
Your mind is still thinking the way that the world thinks. Paul talks about the old man and the new man. You're still thinking the way that you used to. And so the problem was, is I was saved and I loved Jesus, but I had no discipline in my life to pursue him, and my mind wasn't being renewed. Does that make sense? That's one very important reason why discipleship is so important. You cannot remain stagnant as a Christian. Okay? Either you are getting further from the Lord or closer. That's a reality. That's a truth. Think of trying to just flow in a river with a heavy current. You don't do it. You either go back or you swim up unless you're anchored, right? And the reality of the Christian life is, is either the world is conforming your mind or Jesus is conforming your mind. That's the reality. And if we're not being disciplined in the way that we think, we're not being conformed to the world. Or we're not being conformed to the Lord, we're being conformed to the world. So, couple years went by, and uh, I moved back home to Wairika for a couple years, was doing youth ministry, um, and then and this crazy thing happened. I ran into this group of guys uh, that lived up here in Medford, um, and I thought they were bonkers when I first met them. They were street witnessing in Ashland. is this group that was going to Applegate at the time, and uh, just young guys, and um, this guy walks up to me, looks like he's straight out of prison, uh, he actually he was straight out of prison, now that I think about it. Uh, he's a pastor now, and he planted a church in Florida. Um, anyways, I think he was like three weeks out of prison. He runs up to me, he's like, are you here for the revival? And I'm like, you're nuts. Um, and I ended up meeting all these guys, and, and these, these were the most legit men of God I'd ever met. I'd never met someone like these guys. Now, now just picture this, okay? They're in the middle of Ashland, and one of the guys has got a guitar, Kobe Brosser, he goes to our church, he's got a guitar, and, and the other guys are like on their knees worshiping in the middle of Ashland, and other people are like yelling at them, like making fun of them, um, which is funny because people are so weird there, you think you can do whatever you want, but <laughs> apparently you can't worship God there. Um, so anyways, the, the, I meet this group of guys, I start hanging out with them, start uh, getting involved in their lives, and, 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 and they just... They lived completely different than I had ever seen before. Everywhere they went, they had a Bible under their arm, like the mall, the restaurant, no matter where you went, a Bible under their arm. Everywhere we went, we were in the Word. We're sitting at Denny's, and the Bible comes out, and we start studying it, right? Um, we're praying for people in public places. We're sharing their, our faith. And for me, from this person who loved Jesus but never really quite had this, the, the, the discipline to really grow, I was like, that's what I want to be like. I want to be like these guys, and it was sort of like my spiritual honeymoon, if you will, um, with the Lord, where I just, just sort of like got really, really focused on Jesus. It was so good. I got a smaller Bible. I took it everywhere with me. I began to highlight and underline and just devour the Word of God. Um, began to just share my faith. It was a great, great, great season for a while, okay? Very disciplined. Three hours or more a day in the scriptures, sitting at the table, like my, 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 my table with my roommates was just constantly full of commentaries. We were just in the word all the time. It was so good for a while, and then things changed. Now, first of all, before, before I get into that, do you know why it was so good? It was good because I was really, really excited about Jesus, and all of those things were means by which to get more of him. Like three hours in study wasn't like, oh, three hours. It was like, I could just study all day because I'm just so into him and, and what he has. And I want to know more about Jesus. It was such a good season. But here's what happened, okay? After a season of that, it began to shift 
from where all of these disciplined things that I was doing were, were, were first getting me to God, and then they became God. Does that make sense? All of the things that I was doing that was unlocking God's grace and God's power instantly became God to me. I began to worship my disciplined life. And it was subtle. But here's how I know I started to do that. First of all, because I started to judge people that weren't doing what I was doing. Like, oh, they don't, they don't have a Bible with highlights and, 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 and pen all over it, and they don't, they don't carry it with them. They must not be really serious about Jesus. And just he's really like, I turned into a Pharisee, a straight up Pharisee. I went from being so into Jesus to being so into Jesus' things. I went into being so into learning about Jesus, and then it shifted into being into learning. Not so much about Jesus anymore, but about the things that I was doing. I began to worship being disciplined. The thing that used to be so helpful for me actually ended up becoming a yoke to me. So <laughs> I share that with you because this is the, this is the one side of the horse, okay? With, with being disciplined in Christianity is that sometimes the things that were meant and designed by God to be the conduits that we understand God, sometimes we make those things God, and then they become a bad thing. As Romans says, right, we take the creation, the thing that was designed to point to God, and we worship it as God. And I was taking all of these things that were such good things, and I made them God things, and they instantly became bad things. I made too much of them. I made the practices that I was doing spiritually into too much more than they were intended to be. What was a joy became a burden. We have to distinguish as we're talking about, it's all preliminary. We're gonna talk in depth for the next 10 weeks about how to be disciplined. And what I wanna do tonight is to just make sure that our foundation for this series is grace. Because here's the thing disciplines, spiritual disciplines, are not your relationship with God, okay? They're not your relationship. Let me, let me explain that. I have, I have a beautiful wife named Randy. You guys might know her. Um, we're married. We have a great marriage, and I love her, and, and, and I, in my marriage, I try to do things to pursue my wife, okay? Change that poopy diaper, maybe. Uh, give her a couple hours to herself. Um, communicate with her. Whatever the things are, those are all really good things. And what those things do is they allow me to, um, to show her that I love her, and they allow me to invest in our relationship. But those things are not my marriage. Does that make sense? My wife is what I'm after. She's what I'm after. Those things are simply things that get me to her. Those are things that simply get me to a closer relationship with her. If you take her out of the equation, it becomes a contractual agreement where I just simply do things, okay? So spiritual disciplines without Jesus is garbage. Can I just say that? You know what it is? It's religion. It's religion. There are millions of people on the earth right now doing very religious things, and they are very, very disciplined. There are people doing very unreligious things that are very disciplined. Being disciplined does not make you a Christian. And doing disciplined things is not Christianity. But they are the means by which we can access and understand better God. 
Listen to this Martin Luther quote. This is intriguing when you think about who said it. Martin Luther, uh, so the father of the Great Reformation, right, who lived this monastic, uh, very religious, very uh, um, moralistic life, right? Uh, he, he had this huge conversion. Listen to what he says. He says, if ever a monk could get to heaven through a monastic dis- discipline, I was that monk, and yet my conscience would not give me certainty. But I always doubted and said, you didn't do that right. You weren't contrite enough. You left that out of your confession. The more I tried to remedy an uncertain, weak, and troubled conscience with human traditions, the more daily I found it more uncertain and weaker and more troubled. You hear what he's saying there? He's saying that he tried everything possible to be disciplined enough to have a clear conscience, and no matter what he did, he always had more guilt. There was always another thing he felt he should be doing. Maybe I didn't confess enough. Maybe I didn't fast long enough. Maybe I didn't read my Bible enough. I didn't pray hard enough, weep long enough, whatever it may be. He's saying, I've done all of these things, but none of them can remove my guilt. You know why? Because spiritual disciplines, religious practice, if you will, was never intended to remove guilt. It was never intended to atone for sin. It was never made to pay for you and I's sin. It's not the intention of it. I know this seems simple, but there have been billions of human beings that have got this wrong. People that have gone to church their entire life and done every spiritual discipline in the book and don't know Jesus. Why? Because they're looking to those things to be Jesus. They're looking to earn their salvation. It's important that we distinguish that. There's just a huge divide in the church right now, especially in the West, that I see at least, between what would be considered probably the conservative churches that are very discipline-centered, Okay, the systematic theology, the, the reformed churches, the, the, the very like, here's what you do, here's how you do it. And then the other side being maybe the more mainstream evangelical, which doesn't really ever tell you how to live as a Christian in a lot of ways. It's very fluffy. It's very extreme on the other side. There's kind of the divide here. And here's the problem, I think, that both sides of that coin have. Here's the problem I think I had in both seasons of my life where I was under-disciplined and maybe a little bit over is I think the problem is the same with both. The problem is the same. And the problem is that neither one understands the primary function of the spiritual disciplines. Okay? The, the primary function. We have to get this right. What's the purpose for the things we do as Christians? Why do we give? Why do we serve? Why do we worship? Why do we pray? Why do we fast? Why do we study? Why do we meditate? Why do we Sabbath? Why do we fellowship? Why do we do these things? What is the why behind it? So, lest we do the same thing that those two extremes do, I want to really talk about that in the remainder of our time. And here's what I think it is. If you're taking notes, it's the discipline of grace. We have, before we get into any other discipline, any other tangible, practical discipline, we have to understand as Christians the hardest discipline of all. Harder than fasting, believe it or not. 
Harder than prayer, harder than study, harder than any discipline is this one, the discipline of grace. You're saying, what are you talking about? Never heard of this discipline of grace. Well, here it is. Open your Bibles, 2 Peter 3.18. I teach this verse all the time, but it's because it intrigues me like no other verse. So 2 Peter 3.18. What is the discipline of grace? Here's what Peter says. First of all, let me say, so he writes this epistle at the end of his life. Okay, now this isn't young, fiery, angsty Peter, the one that lopped off ears and said stupid things. And, and this, isn't, this isn't that Peter. This is an older Peter, a mature Peter, a Peter that's had some seasons of life, that, that's seen Jesus rise from the dead, that's leading the early church movements in the first century, okay? That's this Peter, different Peter. Same guy, older, wiser, more sanctified. Okay, that's, that's the Peter that we're reading. And in Second Peter, these are the last recorded words that we have of the leader of the early church, Peter, okay? So knowing that, let's read it together. Second Peter 3.18, he says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. So out of all the things that he could say at his last words, he doesn't say, pray more, fast more, read more, study more, Sabbath more, give more, serve more. Those are all important things. But he lists the most important and the hardest discipline for any human being with a sinful heart to get, and that is the discipline of grace. He says to grow in grace. And what is he talking about? How do you grow in grace? It's like a non-action. It's like something that doesn't make any sense. How do you grow in grace? Does that, does that mean to, be, to grow in being gracious? No, that's not what it means. Does it, does it mean to be, grow in being graceful? No, that's not what it means either. To grow in grace. Let me start here. Everything that you do in life that's a grow, that, that's a growth, is, is expanding, right? When, you, when you're disciplined in life and when you get better at something, it's an increase. Okay, so if you're disciplined in your job and you work hard and you show up early and you stay late and, and you make those numbers and you get your bonus and whatever, you're expanding yourself in life and position, right? That's the way it usually works with discipline, okay? Uh, when you're 12 and then you grow up to be 20, you, you've grown in stature, you're bigger, okay? So, um, most of growing is, is increasing, but not Christianity. That's the interesting thing about Christianity. Growing in grace is actually the opposite. It's decreasing. It seems confusing, but you know who nailed this? John the Baptist. Do you know what Jesus said about John the Baptist? That he was the greatest man that ever lived? That statement just kind of blows me away. Like, first of all, why would you even, why would you pick one, Jesus? Way to play, play favorites, you know? Like, hey, my cousin John, yeah, he's the, he's the best. <laughs> he's the best one. He's the greatest man, other than Jesus himself, obviously. Why was John the, the Baptist the, the greatest one? Here's, here's what I think. Because I think he 
understood more than anything else the discipline of grace. And the discipline of grace, you can see it when he, when he spoke. He said what? I must decrease that he may increase. See, what John understood was is that the hardest discipline as a Christian to do is to realize that God is everything and that we are nothing. That when I decrease, when I think less of myself and more of God, that that's what it is to be a Christian. It's not to become more religious, to become more wise, to become more knowledgeable. It's actually, when you look at sanctified people, they're humble. They don't think they're the man. They don't think they're the woman. They don't think they're like the spiritual, spiritually awesome people. You would never even know that they're the most sanctified in the room because they're humble, because they've grown in grace. What growing in grace means is that I understand to a deeper degree and a deeper level that God in his grace is all that matters. That's the most valuable thing. That's the most important thing. And in order for me to grow in grace, I have to decrease. I have to realize that I am unimportant and that God is everything, but yet he values me for whatever reason, by his grace. So to be a disciple of Christ is not merely to be disciplined, but discipline allows us to see clearly that God is gracious to us. You know what our greatest enemy as Christians is? It's not sin. It's not death, necessarily, I would say. It's not the devil. I would say our greatest enemy as Christians is a lack of belief and reliance in the grace of God. You know what happened in the garden when, when Eve was tempted? Yes, Satan was there. Yes, sin entered the picture. But what he attacked was he attacked her, her belief in, in the, the sufficiency of God. He came in and said, Eve, God's not enough for you. His grace is not sufficient for you. His garden is not enough. So eat the fruit and become like him because he's holding out on you. And what happened in that moment was he played into her wants to be God. This is what makes the discipline of grace hard because we're not wired to believe that God could love us unconditionally. We're wired to want to earn it. You know that? When you buy a computer, it has default settings. Those default settings will make your computer do something automatically. You guys and myself are wired to be self-sufficient, self-reliant, to try to earn your own salvation, to try to make yourself a better Christian. And what God has to do to sanctify you is to undo those default settings. To, make you, to, to undo those default settings so that you might grow in grace. To realize that it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about his grace. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 3. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And he's praying for the Ephesians through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what is sanctification for the Christian? What is being discipled achieve us? Simply a knowledge 
a knowledge, understanding the grace of God. That's what it is to grow in grace. It's to grow in an understanding of God's grace. Does that make sense? It's really confusing. I'm trying to figure it out too. So if I'm confusing you, I'm confused too, right? Because it's a non-action. To grow in grace means to simply realize and understand and believe God's grace. Everything that we're going to study in the next 10 weeks has to come out of that understanding. We don't do these things because we're trying to achieve the grace of God. We've achieved the grace of God freely on the cross. And because of that, because of that, we pursue him through spiritual disciplines that we might understand more clearly the magnitude of his grace and his goodness and his power. That's what, that's what Peter was saying. He said, look, church, I know in your own strength you can pray more. In your own strength, you can read more. But you know what you can't do in your own strength? Believe the gospel. Believe in grace. That's a Holy Spirit thing. And it takes so much tweaking in my brain to make me think grace-centered. To make me give, not because I want something out of it, but because God's been generous to me. To make me pray, not because I want to earn something, but because God loves me and has given everything for me. To make me fellowship and go to church, not so I feel good about myself, but because God is there and I want to be with him. It takes discipline to live out of the gospel. It takes discipline to believe the gospel. It takes intentionality. It doesn't just happen. You have to rechange your mind. Let me just give you a quick picture um, to put, just put some, some meat on this really quick, hopefully. If, if you guys are Bibles, Matthew 25, uh, 1 through 3. We have till 8. It's been a month. I can't even remember how long. Yeah. Um, Matthew 25. We get this parable here. I think this is helpful to clear this up. Jesus says this, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Interesting parable, right? The picture, of course, of the wedding, the marriage supper, the bridegroom is coming, evidently in the dark, at night. So this wedding party is, is expecting and waiting, expecting for the bridegroom. They bring their candles out. They get drowsy. They fall asleep. Now, there's a divide here in the story. Half of them were disciplined, and the other half weren't. Now, you might say, wait, is that legalism? So half of them get to be with the bridegroom, Jesus, because they... But he, he, here's the interesting part about this parable, and I think is 
the perfect picture of, of what I'm trying to say here. What, is, what does a candle achieve? What's the point of a candle? What's the point of having oil in your lamp? It's so that you can see. More specifically, it's so that you can see the bridegroom. They didn't get to be with the bridegroom at the feast because they couldn't see him. Because their lamps had gone out because they weren't disciplined. One of the primary reasons for the spiritual disciplines is this. It's clarity. It's clarity. Why do we read the Bible? Why do we pray diligently? Why do we do the things that we do spiritually in a disciplined way? So that we can see. So we can see when the bridegroom comes. So we can understand God's goodness and grace. Back to what I said, to grow in his grace. So we might understand as Christians who he is and what he's done for us. So we aren't like these five that missed him because we were too busy on Netflix. Because we couldn't see, because we're clouded by watching whatever. Not demonizing TV, I'm just saying. Okay. God, dang it, I gotta throw my TV out. No. What I'm saying is, is that the reason we are disciplined as Christians is so we can see when Jesus is present, when he comes, so we have clarity, because it's dark. And it's confusing. The world is so confusing. And we need this, and we need prayer, and we need the things we are gonna go through so that we can clearly discern when our master comes, so we can be ready. Every time Jesus would do something hard, do you know what he would do? He would seek the Father. Jesus was discipled, man, he was a disciple. He was a diligent one. Before he went to the cross, you know what he, what he did? He went to the garden and he prayed. He knew if he didn't go get clarity by praying to God in John 17, you can read it, by praying to God, if he didn't go get clarity, he was not gonna be able to face the cross. Now, do you think that we can go to our jobs and go live in this secular world and go get our brains twisted by everything around us if we don't have the clarity of the gospel and the scriptures every day? It's not a matter of earning our salvation, it's a matter of hello, Jesus didn't even think about doing anything until he had spent time with the Father. It wasn't a legalistic thing. It was a no-duh thing. How are you expecting me to go to the cross unless I go connect with the Father and get clarity about why I'm doing this? Why I have to go absorb the wrath of God on a cross and be beaten and scourged by men? No, I need to understand that. So he went to the Father alone in the garden and prayed. He was disciplined because he knew it was like air. Our bodies need it. Now, here's my thing. Here's my encouragement for you guys, and specifically for myself. Is that, guys, we are malnourished. We're malnourished. I talked about the two extremes, the two balances. Some people are a little obsessed with being disciplined. Some people are not enough. I would guess, based off of myself and people I know, that if we lean one side as a church and even just as a culture, it's probably being undisciplined when it comes to our faith. Not really thinking intentionally about how we pursue God. Not really making time for him in the scriptures. Not really praying. I think that's probably where the side that we would probably lean to. And so I I, I wanna say this. I think that we're starving and we don't know it. Here's something interesting about our country, right? Go, get a little health thing here, okay? Um, 
there are people in our country that are starving and they eat more food than anyone else because the food that we're eating is malnutrition, it has no nutrition in it. You eat a hamburger, has very little nutrition in it, but it's a lot of food. So you're like eating and eating and eating and eating, but you're not getting the vitamins and the stuff that your body needs. You're starving, but you don't know it. So here's what we're doing in our culture. We're stuffing ourselves with talk radio and with television and with Netflix and with Facebook and with Twitter and with Instagram. We're stuffing ourselves to the brim constantly with data and information and entertainment, all of this stuff, and we're starving. We feel full because we've thought about all these things, but we're starving. The other day I'm driving in the car and I turn on talk radio and listen to Rush Limbaugh or something. He's just angry, yelling at his stuff and liberals and whatever. And, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is really interesting. But after half an hour, I was like starving. I'm like, he said nothing that matters to me. Interesting, sure, whatever. Who are we gonna vote for? I don't know. But it's nothing. I just ate a cheeseburger. Where's the nutrition, okay? This is what you're starving for, what I'm starving for. These spiritual disciplines are important because they're how we live. We have kitchens in our house and pans on our stoves and food in our fridge because we understand that if we don't eat, we die, okay? If we don't eat of the word of God and if we don't pursue him and spend time with him, we will spiritually die. We're starving, and I think a lot of us don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. So that's sort of my plea specifically to this guy, okay? Because there's always something else to do than to pursue God. There's always something else, something easier. It's always easier to hop on my smartphone and, and check the news or check whatever, my mail, than it ever is to sit down and intentionally seek Jesus. So much intentionality it takes but we have to do it because we're starving and we just don't even know. We're too stinking busy. Listen to this, uh, this quote. C.H. Spurgeon says this. He says, I must take care above all that I cultivate communion with God. In other words, I must pay attention to my time with Jesus. I have to emphasize my time with Jesus. Here's why. For though that can never be the basis of my peace, Mark that, he says, even, even though like, my time with Jesus can never guarantee that everything's gonna be fine, yet, he says, it will be the channel of my peace. What that means is it's the conduit by which God will give you peace, by which God will give you wisdom, by which God will give you an understanding of his grace, by which God will feed you the gospel that you need every day is through a disciplined time of communion with him. If you don't have that, you're missing out. So Spurgeon says, I don't make too much of it, but I know that when I'm looking for peace, I know where it is, and it's right there. It's with him. That's where I get it. Mark Buchanan says, holy habits are that. The disciplines, the routines by which we stay alive and focused on him, at first we choose them and carry them out. After a while, they, part, they are part of us. They are part of who we are and they carry us. Okay, I don't know if, if anyone's walked to Jesus more than a year in here, it's not all gonna be easy. You're gonna have seasons where you don't feel the Lord at all. And it's really hard. You don't wanna pray. You don't wanna read the Bible. 
completely feels unnatural to pursue God. You don't feel his presence. It's just that seasons happen. And if we don't have a disciplined rebar in the life of our walk with God, there's nothing to carry you past those seasons other than God literally just dragging you. And he carries us, right? But we need those habits. We don't feel like it. We need to do it anyways. I'm not earning our salvation, but for crying out loud, those habits will carry us at some point. We have, to make, um, we have to make them important. So, just to review, may we be those that are disciplined not to reach salvation, okay? Discipline doesn't get us to salvation, but to reach for the Savior. It's the point of this. It's the point of the series is to, is to get a better understanding of who he is, a better understanding of why we love him, just close with this last quote. Henry Ward Beecher says this, and I love this. This is like, this is cool. He said, young love is a flame, very pretty, often very hot and fierce, but still only light and flickering. The love of the older and disciplined heart is as coals, deep, burning, and unquenchable. When you first get saved, you're just, you know, like my story, you know, I'm just like on fire, like reading hours a day, and, and it's good, right? And it's, it's light, but what I want is I want the years and years and years of being disciplined that form the coals that don't go out easy. You know what I'm talking about? The marshmallow coals, you know what I mean? The ones that like you think are gone and they're still there. That's the faith that I want. Now, that doesn't just happen. It just doesn't just happen. Because what do we value? What do we value? Do you want that faith? Do you want that faith that is coals? That faith that, that understands and believes the gospel with deep roots that cannot be ripped out, that cannot be uprooted? Do you want that anchor that keeps you from floating backwards? Go get it. Salvation is paid for, baby. That's ours, right? But what kind of faith, what kind of walk do you want with God? We've got to be intentional about this. Everything in life is that way. If I want a good marriage, I gotta, earn, I gotta work for it, okay? I don't have to work for God's love, but if I wanna understand his grace, I gotta be intentional about that. If I wanna live a life that is honoring to him and run the race, as Paul says, in a way that's honorable, running for him, the prize, takes intentionality. So that's the point of this. Does that make sense? That's where we're going with this, okay? So, so each week, we'll bite off a different subject. Um, the ones we're gonna do are this, Bible study, meditation, in, in this order, prayer, Silence and solitude, journaling, fasting, worship, evangelism, service, and then I also would like to do Sabbath, because that is a spiritual discipline. So over the next 10, 11 weeks, we're just going to take one of those, look at the scriptures, what does it say, why is it important, um, and we're going to do it all with the understanding that the discipline of grace is most important. Believing and understanding what he's done for you is the most important thing, amen? Amen.